here at the Health and Community Services Union, HACSU. We are celebrating lifetime members and we'd love you to join us on this series as uh, we discover the unsung heroes who dedicated decades to fighting for equality, justice and against corruption today. We're joined by the remarkable Judy Richmond, president of HACSU, a passionate registered nurse who took on one of the big banks and fought against discrimination targeting divorced, separated women and mothers. Hello, Judy. Good afternoon. How are you? Oh, how wonderful it is to meet with you under these circumstances. Before we get into the amazing changes that happened because of you, how long have you been with Haksu for? I, I joined Haksu in, I think it was 1985. I come from a long line of nurses and I know from their experience how how rewarding but also how challenging it could be at that time. Mm. What was it like for you? Well, the motto was disco, secure and Disco, suffering and death, we thought it was. Disco, suffering and death. Yeah, I, I, that, that's, not, that, that's just the Latin, but it was we, we aimed to ease the suffering. But we said it was just disco, suffering and death of the nurses because, you know, we had split shifts. We had late earlies that were very, you know, quarter past 11, you got off and you had to be back at 7. We worked full time and we had to do all our study, mostly in our own time, but each year we got a block. So we did... First year block, second year block and third year block after we'd done our preliminary training. Yeah, so a lot of the training was on the job, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. yes. So you were training and studying at the same time? Yeah, so to identify the level of training so doctors could look at your expertise. The first year's had a plain cap, white. When you were second year, you got just RMH in red writing. And when you were third year, you had two lines beside that. So they could just look and know that's a third year nurse, she can help me with this procedure. So it was secret signals really. And then they brought in a purple belt as when we were, we were about to leave. Sounds like karate. <laughs> well, that was for to, to identify a six month, someone who's only been, think... been in nursing for six months. And when they went over six months, they got a plain white belt. Was that when you started to become really passionate about rights and no? No, no, but I was born with a sense of injustice and that actually started at home because my mother never wanted to marry, was never married dad if she'd known she was having a red head and I was actually a bit... <laughs> Judy, it's a beautiful red head. I always wanted red hair. Rebe- Died at once, looked terrible. <laughs> but I was the one that really stuck up for injustice at home even, you know. I, I can remember... Dad never believed anything I said in this particular time. He said something and I stood up at the table. I said, you might be boss of the, uh, the the office, you might be boss of the Sunday school, you might be boss of scouts, but you're not the boss of me. <laughs> and I turned round and slammed the door really hard. That was into the little back porch. And then I cringed because it was one of those with glass panes. And I thought, hope it doesn't break, hope it doesn't break. And then I shot out and I ran away from home, but I... I didn't just go down to my best friend a few streets away. Oh, you've done that. So how old were you when, when this was happening? I reckon I was 14. I hated them, um, the injustice. They wrongfully accused me at school. I'll own up to anything if I've done something, but yeah. I won't be wrongfully accused. I don't know, Reese High, the teacher wrong, wrongfully accused me of talking and I just stood up and nose in there and walked out, head in the air. Let's talk about this incredible story that not only led to significant legislative changes but also marked a monumental stride towards equality. I have got a handwritten letter here 
that you sent to the Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission on the 27th of January 1995 and I'm going to get you, if you would like to, read it. To Mr Robert Henderson, Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission. Dear Mr Henderson, I write for advice about a situation which I believe demonstrates a prejudice against the female gender. This situation involves a financial cost which has resulted from my choice to revert to the use of my maiden name. A man would never have to face such a cost as he does not change his surname when his marital status alters. I've enclosed a, a fact sheet which I hope will clarify the situation more fully, B, a copy of the letter from my bank stating the cost, a copy of this letter and the following pages will be sent to Di Hollister, the member for Braddon, for she advised me to write to you for guidance and perhaps a legal assessment of this situation. I look forward to your response. Yours sincerely, Judy Richmond. And you attached to it that fact sheet, which I yeah. thought we could go through, uh, if you could walk me through the, the mm. timeline, because there were multiple layers here of injustice. Like mm. it wasn't just one. 1973, you get married. Mm. 1979, you separate. Beginning of 80s, you get divorced. Mm. You had two young kids, is that yes. right? Yes, Angela and Tim. A good two, three years after you'd been divorced, you mm. buy a house, you received a mortgage as a single female. Yes. And you write, as I had the responsibility of two young children, I continued to use my married name to save them from the confusion and from my embarrassing situation. And in brackets you write, my ex-husband has since remarried. Uh, can we just stop there for a second before mm. we move forward? What was it like in the late 70s, early 80s, being a divorced woman with two kids, uh, there was still huge prejudices around. I mean, I was I did my midwifery in in eighty two, eighty one, eighty two, and you know babies were being adop adopted, taken up for adoption still, and there was great prejudice about uh, 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 unmarried women. People sort of earmarked just sort of being a bit rough. Think that you're probably not as look after your children quite as well, you might be a bit rough. So that was a bit difficult. Late 1988, so this is around five years after you've mm. purchased your property, you reverted to your maiden name. So it was from Moore to Richmond, right? Yes, yes. So you did that with all things, banking accounts, insurances, house, car. You didn't have to do anything. You just you just show your birth certificate because that's your name hidden under your maiden name and you don't have to have any proof other than your birth certificate. That you can go back to that name. Yes. Mm. Because at the end of the day, it's still your name legally, mm. really. Yes, underneath. Yeah. Around six years passes. So you've changed your back to your maiden mm. name. And in 1994, you wanted to use the home loan option to buy some superannuation. Yes. And so the bank didn't like my bank accounts being in the Richmond name and the title in the Moore name because if anything happened to me, it could add some confusion legalities in relation to my estate. So the bank goes ahead, they do some paperwork, the transfer fee was $161 mm. to change back to your name, maiden name. Mm. And, at, and at the time when I got that letter, I said to the bank manager, there's something not right here, I didn't know what it was. I said, that was in December I think, and I said, if I haven't done anything about this by February, I'll pay the money. I just got – I get six senses about things and I didn't know what it was and uh, then, I, then I thought, well, you know, man wouldn't have to pay this. 
Because you're talking $161 too back in the 90s when also you're a single Mm mum, you're working hard and now they want to charge and and there's actually some controversy around that dollar Mm. amount that the Mm. banks were doubling it Uh, but we'll talk about that in a second. So $161 and so you sent this letter Mm. that we referred to earlier. What happened then after you sent that letter? I um, got contacted by Mr Henderson it went on and on and on, as you can tell, but it, it evolved. And I didn't realise how much it evolved until I've looked at it now as an older person. But Mr Mr Dixon in the Land Title Office was 100% behind it. It was amazing reading this correspondence. Wasn't, I was lucky enough to it, read it all. He was an intelligent man, wasn't he? And he, was, he said there's discrimination in the Lands Title Act, but he was surprised that no-one had ever... Brought it to his attention before. And we're referring to Michael Dixon, the recorder Mm. of titles at the time. Mm. So this was essentially the office Mm. that was charging the fee for you to change your name. Mm. So he had a vested interest in protecting the office. But in this letter he said it is discriminatory. Yes. You should be able to change it back without copying a fine. And he also said in his letter that it was, and I think he might have told me verbally, the money they were making equal to junior clerk in that office out of women changing names on titles. This is what he said in one of the letters and when it was it was referring to a cost and you'd sent an attached letter from one of the big banks, won't name which one, but $161 is what they're asking and you forwarded that on to him. Mm. And he wrote, I am aware that quite often commercial fees are passed off as land titles office fees, but this is the first time I have actually seen this in writing referring to the attached Mm. letter from the bank. It is an issue which I will take up with the Director of Consumer Affairs. So they were charging, it was $80? Yeah, it was uh, one document only and the the cost in the land titles office in that time was $80 for the the one page. They're making out. I didn't know that they were hiding a bank charge in that. So this particular bank had added an extra $81 but passed it off as though it was the fee from the land titles office. And I'm so pleased now with myself that I sent it with the letter because it's the first time he's ever had evidence, which is wonderful, I think, because they need to be caught out. So you you sent the letter to the... Human Rights and Equal Opportunity. Yeah, and then that has spiralled to them to reach out to Michael Dixon, mm. the recorder of titles at the time. Now, he's not only saying this is wrong but then sent it off to the con- Consumer Affairs to go, the banks shouldn't be doing this, mm. which it gives me goosebumps. I've actually got goosebumps. Another little interesting thing, every time I took the paperwork into the bank manager, all the ladies would see me coming into the bank and they'd run to the counter and want to read it first. And the interesting thing, the last time I went in, the bank manager no longer was manager of the Devonport branch. He'd been sent to one of the islands. So I reckon when they went to Consumer Affairs, I reckon it was gone. So ministers are now getting involved. Minister for Status of Women was involved and he was communicating with Di Hollister. So he had to raise it, I think, in Parliament. Michael Mm. Dixon, again, the recorder of titles, he said at the time... He admired your persistence in writing this wrong. What a lovely thing to say. Yeah. Even yeah. though it could have cost him his job. <laughs> I love uh, that. What I did, um, I did write a letter of thanks to Mr Henderson but also for Mr Dixon. I was in Hobart and I got a packet of a box of Smarties, a big box of Smarties and wrote a little letter about him being a bit of a Smartie because he was... He, <laughs> 
his letters were very clever, weren't they? Yeah. Very organised mind, very knowledgeable, very fair. And I just wanted to make it a bit of bit of fun. So I, I left. I didn't want. To, I didn't ask to see him. I just said, "Can I leave this for Mr. Dixon?" From her. I was, I was, I was so pleased how how he was involved and interested. This is all going round and back and forth. And as you said, there's ministers involved, the Human Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission, Consumer Affairs, banks were involved. And then there's this headline. And this was from the Advocate newspaper uh, printed on Monday, the August 21st, 1995. And the headline says, Fee dropped for surname change. Women wanting to change their surname can now do so free of charge under a new state government regulation the Minister for Environment and Land Management said the former fees imposed on women were discriminatory. Mr Cleary said that under the new land titles fee regulations, which came into force on August the 1st, no fee is payable for a change of name following a change in family status. How do you feel now hearing that back? I'm pleased with myself. Good. You know, like I... That's what I mean, retrospectively, you don't realise when you start on a journey where it's going to end and there's lots of other things happening in life. But, you know, I'm amazed. <laughs> amazed at that, you know, so... So this went everywhere. Like, mm. it was covered everywhere. And it also featured in, and I loved reading this, actually, this this magazine, in The Agenda, which mm. is Sex Discrimination Newsletter. And it was one of the case studies and big wins in November 1995 this was published alongside some others. And and it was just incredible looking back at this. Of course, your case is in there. Mm. But there were some other landmark mm. discrimination cases. In, in Australia, there was a woman who was denied access to a fertility improvement treatment to correct a blocked fallopian tube because she was single. Mm. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable, isn't it? Like, wait, th- this is in the 90s. And I was talking to my mother about this and my mum said, oh, yeah, because when she wanted to have her tubes tied after me, I don't know if there's a correlation <laughs> between that. <laughs> well, it was an accident. <laughs> she said that she had to get Dad's permission mm. for her own body to make her own choices. I was just shocked. I, so I probably still had that understanding that women would become like a chattel of a man, you know, so the man is responsible. She was shocked when I told her that doesn't happen anymore, Mum. She mm. was, are you sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure, Mum. <laughs> it doesn't happen. But this is in our lifetime. Mm. This is a couple of decades ago. Mm. And that's what I mean when I go back to the beginning of this podcast. These are things that we now, and I say we, me, collectively, growing up, take for granted. Mm. What do you see? Do you see where we need to still improve in some areas? Yes, I think women still have a long way to go, even though we think we... Enlightened and there's a book out, I think, Wifedom, that just come out about George Orwell's wife. And it's definitely amazing. His wife was a graduate, a uni graduate and very clever and he he got all the accolade of when they, I think they were in a country where there was a, a rebellion and but she was the one, you know, there and we've still got to come a long way. Women aren't actually acknowledged in the dictionary of words, you know, the dictionaries were made by men, so we, they lost the, the female vocabulary that was in everyday life. What's, I guess, any lessons that you'd like to pass on? Well, I just think if you see anything that's unfair, do something about it. You can, you don't know where it's going to end up. 
you know. The challenges that are happening within nursing, I think decades mm. later, I'm assuming that this is something you're still incredibly passionate about. Here, what needs to happen or what are you fighting for? What are your passion pieces? I'm passionate about working conditions for all union members in our union, like the cleaners, the attendants and, and everyone, you know, I, I, staffing issues if, if people think they haven't been paid correctly or they haven't been recognised as a management change. I'm very passionate about those sort of things. And you're right, so many, um, I guess, subcategories are missed mm. out, whether that is the cleaning, especially because they all go hand in hand. Mm. You can't have one without the other, can you? Well, I've always said the cleaners keep the hospital safe. Um, they're essential. Catering's the same. If you've got a, a bug in the food, you've got a gastro outbreak. If you haven't, don't clean your hospitals properly, you've got norovirus and... and um, they're essential and each person's got their right. The bin men don't take the bins away. It's just we're all, all a part of a team and we all respect and work well together. It's like a car. Everything has its part yes. and if one breaks down, yes. it just doesn't work. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's been so wonderful to chat with you and just an amazing story and I'm so glad we could go back and revisit it and share that because... You're right. That could, so many people could have overlooked that and said, "Oh, it's one hundred and sixty-one dollars." What you did led to those changes. So thank you. Thank you. 